This is an ABC podcast. Jonathan, last ball of the semi-final. Slogs way out into the deep. Oh, and wow. a catch has taken the heat win. She's gone. There it is. They were nervy to start with Australia, but they've settled very, very quickly. You're listening to Ladies Who Legs Spin. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Ladies Who Legs Spin. I'm Mary Kay and we are still on tour with Brittany Carter on the ground in the UK to bring you the latest and the greatest from the women's ashes. So stay tuned, there's plenty of highlights from Canterbury coming up because someone's been on the ground to keep us up to date. Hi Britt, how are you? Hey Mary, how you doing? Pretty well. Where are you at the moment? So I'm inside a TARDIS booth in the BBC Kent studio. I've just driven about an hour from Ashford and the Canterbury game was half an hour from there. So I'm in the English countryside. It's really beautiful and green. It's been really nice here. Well, Britt, with the results that have been coming our way, uh, you must be absolutely delighted because Australia have beaten England by 194 runs in the third ODI. So that means not only has Australia clean swept the ODI proportion of the series, but it also means we take a 6-0 lead in the Ashes. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And I don't think any of the English media here can quite believe what's happening because As we know, England were undefeated in 14 straight matches coming into this. And so the fact that they've been so comprehensively defeated by Australia, especially in this match, like the batting collapse was massive. I think that they're really devastated by that and and they don't really know what to do because there's not that much time to turn things around before the test. Well, Britt, you've sort of answered my next question, which was what's the atmosphere been like on the ground? Because I imagine it's been one of shock. Yeah, but also there's been lots of celebration for Australia. So the result hasn't deterred fans at all, which is good to see. I think people are shocked, as I said, by England's results, but it hasn't deterred them from coming to the game. So they've still been very engaged and it's been a pretty joyful crowd despite the results, I think. Well, should we get into that game? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, so as mentioned, Australia won the third ODI by 194 runs and this takes their winning streak in ODI matches to 12. Before we talk about the Australian batting innings, there are a couple of stars in this match. Elise Perry took the best ever ODI bowling figures by an Aussie woman and both Elisa Healy and Meg Lanning scored half centuries. Britt, do you want to talk us through the innings? Yeah, it was an interesting one. We saw in this game that they swapped... Sarah Taylor for Brunt because Brunt was injured after her celebrations in the last match and Danny Wyatt remained in the team. So it meant that Heather Knight and Nat Siver had to take on more of a role with the ball. And Nat Siver had her best game. I know we're supposed to be talking about Australia here, but she had her best game with the ball so far. So she was the most expensive in the first two matches and only got one wicket. And in this game, she took three. So she was able to have somewhat of an impact on the Australian order. But I think what was most promising about this innings from Australia is that we've spoken about how they haven't been able to have a good partnership in that top four. Well, Elisa Healy and Meg Lanning put on an amazing partnership and it really set the platform for a strong win for Australia here. You're right, Britt. They made a 109 second wicket stand. And Britt, while they were batting, were you having a bit of a chat with Jess Jonathan? Yeah, so this is a chat I did with Jess Jonathan for the BBC at the drinks break, and you can sort of get a feel for how the Aussies are feeling about the game from here. Well, let's uh, head down to the dugouts and get some uh, live reaction in terms of what's happened so far. Brittany Carter, where are you? 
I've got Jess Jonathan on the edge of the boundary. Jess, how do you feel like you're placed at the moment? Yeah, we've got off to a pretty solid start. I think um, the partnership between Meg and uh, Midge out there is going really well so far. So hopefully after the drinks break, we can, they can kick on and um, take the innings really deep. And Nikki B got her chance to play her 50th ODI today, despite the fact she didn't get some great totals in the first two games. Were you happy she still got that opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. I think for us, we know that, um, especially for someone like Bolts, a big score's not too far away. And I think she was a little bit unlucky today, but I guess that's the game and you've got to take it as it comes. And um, I guess now it's a really good opportunity for Elisa and Meg out there to, to get some really big scores. Did you feel like she was hard done by by the umpire's call? Oh, look, it's one of those things that, looking at it live, it probably didn't look too good. But, um, yeah, obviously with no DRS as well, there's been a few um, moments during the, the series so far that I guess could have gone either way. So, um, But, yeah, that's cricket. A lot of the time you don't really have the technology on your side to be able to, to come away with the, the decisions all the time. So, yeah, you just kind of got to cop it on the chin and, and take it. Heading over to England, there was a lot of talk about how different the conditions would be and how much swing would be involved. We've seen a lot of swing today here compared to Leicester. Yeah, I think it's just uh, slightly different conditions. We've particularly overhead conditions this morning. There's been a bit of rain in and around overnight, so I guess that would play a part. And there's a nice breeze coming across the ground as well. So hopefully when it comes our turn to be out in the field that we can have people like Elise Perry and Megan Shute utilising the swing as well. And certainly Anya Shrubsol has been threatening out there. What sort of mentality do you take out against someone like her when you have to face her? Yeah, look, I think when, if I'm needed to bat, hopefully the ball's not moving around too much. So um, I think, yeah, for me, it doesn't really change too much. I just, I think as a whole, we just look to try and play down the ground, um, play nice and straight and also play with the swing as well. And I think obviously with Catherine Brunt out of their side today, Anya has to take on um, an even bigger role and, and kind of lead that attack so I think yeah she's been doing that today and we've sort of nullified that pretty well so far. And just quickly before we head back upstairs for the action what sort of total are you hoping for from here? Uh, not really setting a total too too much because we don't want to kind of go too hard or we don't also want to restrict ourselves so we're just looking about the process and about these two batters kind of setting a really solid platform for us and we'll probably assess with about 15 10 overs to go. Thanks, Jess. Good luck. Thank you. Britt, I heard JJ mention the swing to you. Was that something that was talked about leading into this game? It was talked about leading into the series and about the different conditions that the UK can bring to a match. And I didn't quite understand it. I obviously hadn't really seen many UK cricket pitches. So I was quite curious to ask some of the colleagues at the BBC that I was working with for TMS about the swing and why it happens so much with English pitches. Apparently, it's to do a lot with the ball. So I can't mention the sponsor's name, but England use a different sponsored ball to Australia and that's dyed a little bit darker and as a result you can polish it a little bit more and it holds on to that polish and obviously uh, is is quite quick on the side that you polish and shine. The seam is also a little bit higher so it's more proud and prominent and apparently because of that it tends to swing a lot more. You think about Australia and how dry the pitch is too. There's less scuffing and the ball is actually kept intact for a lot of the innings here because it's just not coming up against such harsh conditions. Add to the fact there's a lot of moisture in the air, there's cloud cover, which we saw in this game. It wasn't as sunny as the first two in Leicester. And so the ball was swinging everywhere. And Australia did use that to their advantage with Megan Shute and Elise Perry when it came to their turn to bowl. 
But certainly it was swinging a lot in this match. And there were plenty of shouts for LB that didn't come off. Elisa Healy survived two of those. And they certainly went up a couple of times for Meg Lanning too. But Mary, you'll be happy to know that the English over here have a good sense of humour because there was a pull shot that Elisa Healy nailed. And it was quite a sweet shot. But the DJ here played Sweet But Psycho. So they've been quite humorous with the music they used for highlights and for wickets. They also played another one, Bites the Dust, in Leicester when Meg Lanning was sent uh, back to the shed. So they've been quite humorous here. And cricket doesn't have to be so serious. So we know on this podcast we're rarely ever serious. So that's been keeping the crowd entertained. I was about to say we're not particularly serious on this show. So maybe we can head over to the UK next time and do some DJing. But just on Meg Lanning, I want to talk about her half century because that's only her second ODI score above 50 since returning from a shoulder reconstruction. So it's good to see Meg coming back into form. And it was also really positive, I think, that despite Australia losing some really quick wickets there in the middle, they were able to finish their innings at 7 for 269. Interestingly, after setting themselves a target of 270. Yeah, and again, the Queenslanders got it done. So we saw DK and Just Jonathan finish off the innings. Ash Gardner at least made runs this time. But yeah, again, Brisbane getting the job done. Just on Lanning, I spoke to her mother at the end of the match, and you'll hear that a little bit later. But she talks about how Meg Lanning has really struggled to come back from that shoulder injury. And it did keep her out of the game a long time, but it's good to see that she's sort of hitting the straps now with the bat because each game that she's played she's made more runs and this was by far her her best performance well I think the best is yet to come for Meg Lanning and I'm looking forward to hearing all about it and Britt I'm also looking forward to hearing the highlights of the Aussie batting innings trips all in right arm over to Healy bit of whip slashed away for four between points and cover in again two Healy chipped up in the air high over uh Mid-wicket, couple of bounces running away down the hill to form with no protection. Well, there's one fielder back on the deep square leg boundary, but it was far too far in front of square to be cut off. Drops all is in. Big appeals. And given! Oh, I say! Nicole Bolton is out. LBW. For, I thought that ball might have been tailing down leg, but the prevailing swing from... And your shop sale would probably have got that ball to straighten, but the umpire's finger goes straight up and England had got their first wicket. To Healy, who just drives majestically and straight, gloriously up towards the boundary. And it will thud in again into the sponge, as straight as you can get. Siver comes in once more. It's landing on strike on 17. And she's driving through the offside. Lovely timing. There's a chase on for White, who'll run round. Will she cut it off? She will just, will she? No. The dive into the ropes, and it's going to be four more. All about the timing. Raced across the surface. In comes Eccleston again around the wicket. Into that offside of Lanning, who plays it away beautifully. It could run down the hill for four. It does. Here comes Eccleston. It's whipped into the leg side. That's going to be four runs. Finds the gap. Poor delivery. Half tracker. Leg stumpish. And it's 50 for Alyssa Healy. Hammered it away. It's a quick 50 as well. Her seventh in one day international cricket. Landing and with that moves to 50 as she pushes that single into the offside. 118 for one. A ripple of applause around the ground. 
There's a decent-sized crowd in here today. Many of them will be supporting England, but at the moment they're under the cosh as Healy and Lanning are taking full toll of the bowling on a very, very good-looking wicket. Siver is in once more, and that's short. That's pulled high in the air. It's going out to the field of Wyatt's underneath. It's going to take the catch. What a fortuitous wicket for England. They got rid of Alyssa Healy. It was a long hop. She pulled it. She didn't get timing on it. Bit too top-edgy. And Danny Wyatt doesn't miss chances like that. England have picked up their second wicket. Australia in the 23rd over, 130 for two. Siver in. Oh, that's clipped in the air. It's going to be taken. It's gone. Another wicket for England. Well, I never. Every time you think Australia are going to get away, it's, and it's Meg Lanning who's gone. Her have failed to, con to get hundreds. It's becoming potentially a concern. It was a thick, leading edge, and it just looped so gently to point. It's the easiest of catches. In comes Siver once more, and there's an appeal for court behind. She's gone. Elise Perry goes exactly as she did in the previous match, chasing a wide one. Keeper stands up. A little top edge through to the gloves of Taylor. And that Siver's got another, and it's a big one as well. Elise Perry goes 161 for four. Mooney on strike, and there's... A false shot. No, it's hit a pad. The finger goes up and cross. We talked about that breakthrough. She's got her first wicket of the match. It's Mooney. Beth Mooney for 19. Eggleston bowls down the wicket. Comes Hazen. She's got her. Gone bowl. A good shot. Catch. Advancing was Hazen. Got to pitch the ball. Smashed it back at Eggleston. Who's... Big mitts clasped onto the ball as she threw it into the air in gleeful delight. England have their sixth wicket. Australia 208 for six. Shopsell starts up a new over, right arm over the wicket to Gardner, who drives firmly in the air, threw extra cover for four. That was a wonderful shot. Marsh over the wicket then. Full boulder! Now that's got through. Ash Gardner is on her way back to the pavilion for 29. Laura Marsh opportunity after opportunity during this over. Almost third time lucky for the spinner. Eccleston to Kimmins, thrashes it over the top of extra cover. Fran Wilson puts in a dive but can't stop the boundary. And there is the four that takes Australia past the 250 mark. At the end of the 50 overs, Australia have gone up and above the 260 mark. 269 for seven off their 50 overs. All right. I suppose now we need to talk about the English batting innings. And to be fair, if I have to think of one word to describe it, it's disappointing. England found themselves all out for 75 and they only lasted 32.5 overs, Brett. I think it's more than disappointing. It's embarrassing. The fact that they're second in the world and they had a collapse of six for 21. So I kept writing down the collapse each time and it just kept getting worse and worse for them. Their tail end did better than their top end and that's saying something. So they've been talking here about why England's batting is so bad at the moment. And one of the things someone threw up was they probably don't have as much life experience as the Aussies do. You think about someone like Delisa Kimmins, who we spoke to last podcast, who head over to the UK, took a break from cricket, came back to it. There's a lot of players like that in the Australian setup, and they think that maybe England just needs to give their batters some better life experience, I guess. It's an interesting take when you think about police officers in New South Wales, certainly. I know that they won't employ people that don't have life experience, so maybe they're taking on that theme there. There was another point that Ebony Rainford-Brent made on the BBC comms in that if she was to head into the dressing rooms after that match, her question to the batting order would be, what is your mentality when you go out to bat? So they think it's all to do with a mental side of 
the game rather than their actual technique and the way they go about it. So that's quite interesting because, I mean, I think about where the test is at. They haven't got enough time, if it is a mental problem, to change that up. So, Mary, I'm at a loss as to how they're going to fix things. Well, I mean, mental state is an interesting one because if we think about someone like Amy Jones, she was in fine form heading into this Ashes series and she absolutely hasn't been able to make any runs. I wonder whether it comes back to that point that we spoke about in our season preview about the gap between Australia and all the other cricketing nations widening. I guess the other point that we haven't brought up, Britt, and maybe it's time to do so, is Elise Perry. She was absolutely dominant in this game. She ended up with figures of 7 for 22 from 10 overs and was a big part of the reason Australia bowled England out for 75. Yeah, and I don't want to be a Debbie Diana, but we did get a bit lucky with some of those calls from the umpire with LB and whatnot. And um, Heather Knight certainly didn't think she touched the ball when she was dismissed. So Elise Perry did have a field day out. I think we saw a funny video of Shelinitsky because she was the previous 7th for record holder. Is that right, Mary? That's absolutely right. Her figures were 7 for 24. So that's really interesting. And I know that Elise Perry was talking about how she credits a lot of her success to Ben Sawyer, who is the Sixers coach and her bowling coach. He's obviously had a big impact on her career and it's good to see her be able to shine with the ball when she hasn't performed with the bat again. I'm talking about all-rounders and how they're lucky they have two chances to shine. But for me, if we think back to the last Ashes series, which was played on Aussie soil, if you think about Elise Perry, the moment that comes to everyone's mind is, of course, that double century that she scored in the test. So it's really positive to see her being celebrated for her bowling, which has really come along. And it sounds like Ben Sawyer's had a big impact on that. Now, Britt, it'll be hard listening for English fans, but should we play the highlights? Yeah, let's go for it. Perry, blonde-haired, bouncing again. She's chipped this up in the air. Oh, could be caught at mid-on, and she is. That is the softest of dismissals for Amy Jones and her miserable... Ashes series continues. She's out without scoring, having faced just three balls. Beaumont, she's struck on the pad, and Perry's appealing, and she's got another one. Tammy Beaumont is out. High fives for the Australians and for Elise Perry, who has struck twice inside the first three overs of this innings. Jones out without scoring. Beaumont is now following out LBW, and, well, England... They're in all sorts of bother early on. Five for two. Taylor then on strike. Perry in. And she's beaten first up. In fact, it's Erin Edge. Now they're appealing. Oh, this time the finger goes up. Perry has taken two in two. And England in the third over now lose Sarah Taylor. Five for three. England crumbling. Shoots her in now. Uh, strikes her on the pad. And goodness me. It's Natalie Siver out without scoring. Shoot is getting one to swinging up the slope. And she's having her hair ruffled. Australia a jubilance. And why not? It swung back in a mile and struck her bang in front of the stumps. And Nat Siver is the third England batter to depart without scoring. Perry starts a new over and uh, Knight plays and misses at one. There's a big appeal and finger goes up and Heather Knight can't believe it. She doesn't think she's touched it. The Australians are jubilant. They've got England's captain. They've pretty much got the match. England's 18 for five. As Perry is in, right arm over the wicket. That's just, oh, hit the pad again. No, she's got her fifth. Would you believe it? Would you believe it? Danny Wyatt goes for one LBW. I don't think she can believe it because I think she thought 
That was drifting down the leg side. Charlotte Edwards has talked today already about how a couple of England's batters have got too far over, and actually that looks out. Shoot bowls and is bowled. Try to sweep. Wilson tries to help it round the corner. Stumps rock back. England lose a seventh. And now we really are looking at a memorably horrible defeat for England. Perry in, and this goal goes right through her. It keeps a little bit low, and Anya Shrobsall has to depart. England are eight down. 45 for eight, and Elise Perry has six wickets. Perry from the Nackington Road end, right arm over, and this is in the air. It's going to be caught at mid-off, and it is. Easy as they come. Three steps to her, her left, Ashley Gardner, and she's taken... Sophie Eccleston's wicket. It's the ninth wicket to fall for England, 57 for nine. A sweep and a big appeal, and out! That is it. That is the end of the England innings. Marsh sweeping at Jonathan is trapped LBW, and England have been bowled out for 75 runs. Australia have won this match by 194. They've taken a six-point to nil lead. England have been whitewashed in ODIs for the first time since 2002. It has been a crushing performance, a brilliant performance from Australia. Before we come back and have a quick preview of the upcoming test, Britta, I understand you've made some more friends on the ground. Yeah, I picked out Di Valley in the crowd. She was wearing her Elise Volani ODI bright yellow cap again. And she introduced me to her friend Martin Sullivan, who is actually blind. Uh, they met while... Di was over in the UK studying at university and so he rocks up to games and she'll quite often describe the play that's happening. It's quite remarkable. He was a lovely man and this is our chat. I'm joined at the side of the ground by Martin Sullivan who is a friend of Di's. Martin, how did you become friends with Di? Uh, Diane and I have known each other since I think 1992 when we both started work at the University of the West of England and we worked together for about three years before she went back to Australia. And she's a big fan of women's cricket. How long have you been following the women's game? I've only been following the women's game uh, two or three years now since Diane got me into it. She was uh, the guilty party who took me to my first women's game and I fell in love with it and she's introduced me to lovely people and we just have a ball every time we're there. Now Martin I hope you don't mind me saying but you have a disability can you tell our listeners what it is? Yeah so I am totally blind from birth so I have no sight at all not even light and dark so I've been a lifelong listener to ball by ball test match cricket on the radio and I retired a couple of years ago after my wife died and I didn't want to do any work anymore and my life changed and I thought I've got to do something with my life what am I going to do? I know what I'm going to do I'm going to do what I always wanted to do and go to cricket <laughs> She wouldn't let you go before? Uh, no, I didn't have time I was working full time as a university lecturer just didn't have the time and now I have the time, I'm loving it Di was telling me in Leicester that you were going to be here and that you were pretty special as, as a friend to her and she said that quite often you'll find a friend amongst the crowd whether it's Di or someone else and they'll describe what's happening to you if you're yes, at the ground that's right so in a lots of games you can put an earpiece in and listen to the commentary on the radio but in other games you can't and it's very easy just you go up and say to someone hey can you tell me what's going on and people are usually oh, so friendly and, and uh, I was at a club game yesterday and um I don't think there's had a blind person on the, in the club before, but they were all very kind and helpful and telling me to score. And 
every half an hour says, do you want to go to the bar for another drink? <laughs> well, that's good to know that you're well hydrated. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, we're at the innings break and Australia have set a target of 270 for England. How do you think they're going to go chasing that? I think it's going to be tough, given that you know, they, they beat us the last two games. But the weather's turning nice now. I don't think conditions are going to change very much. I think I'll give it 50-50 at this stage. And do you have a favourite English player or Australian player for that matter? Oh, uh, well, Tammy. <laughs> Tam, Tammy's my... Yeah, Tammy's an, an amazing batter. And, um, well, cricket... Uh, Australian cricketers, let's think. Well, well um, Alyssa Healy did pretty good today, mm. and um, she signed my cap a couple of years back. So let's let's go for Alyssa. Was it an English cap she signed? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, Martin, thank you so much for chatting, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the game. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. I love that you're making so many friends on the ground, Brett, but your next interview is the mother of one of our very favourite Australian cricketers in Meg Lanning. Yeah, Sue was a little bit reluctant to chat with me and her partner, Wayne. So that's Meg Lanning's parents. They were chatting to me for a little bit. And then as soon as I pulled my microphone out, Sue was a bit wary and Wayne ran off. But (laughs) she was a great chat. And I'm glad that I convinced her to do the interview. So this is me chatting with Sue Lanning about Meg Lanning's performance in the match. I've found Sue Lanning in the crowd. I think your partner Wayne ran off as soon as I pulled the microphone yes, out. Yes, he did. <laughs> He'll be back. He'll be back. How's your trip been so far? Lovely, thank you. It's Weather's perfect. Girls are doing wonderfully well and some nice people here with us, you know, our friends that have come along each time, so that's lovely. And it feels a bit weird to say, but I want to say that Meg was in vintage form today. She's quite young, so for me to say vintage form, I of course mean before her shoulder injury and before she sat out of the team for a little bit, but she had a great day out with the bat. Yes, I think she doesn't have it as often as she used to, so I think she's just getting back into that groove and today she was... I think she's very cranky with herself that she got out and didn't sort of make the most of it, but that's the perfectionist in her, I think. But, yeah, that's nice, yeah. She had a good day. And I was surprised to find out that she's not one of two. She's one of five. So tell us about that. Well, her older brother had a set of cricket stuff that he didn't use. He might have played one season. And she found it and she decided she was going to use it and never not played since. So they've just always played sport and they've... You know, she just loves to be, when the boys played football, she was always on the sidelines. She's just loved to be involved, except netball, never played netball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they seem to be really sporty. But tell us, where does Meg fit in among the five siblings? She's number four. She's number four. Yeah, and Anna's five. And they're both born on the same day, two years apart. Wow. I know. <laughs> and they're both into cricket, so maybe Anna found the, the bat and the gloves too. Well, I think Anna enjoyed... We went to Cobram Baruga. We, we were in New South Wales at the time, and for a primary schools competition, we went to Cobram Baruga, and it was the best place to play cricket. And Anna's like, wow, this is, you know, this is so much fun. So she also started playing as well. How often do you get to see Meg when you're on tours like this? We try to go nearly everywhere. That's, <laughs> it's been very good holidays for us. We went to the West Indies. We've been to India, Bangladesh, and we try to go as much. I suppose if she doesn't want us to go, she can always say. But, you know, I think someone's got to be there to support them. I, 
I feel that's important, you know, like Stotty and Deb, Lani, and we all went to the West Indies. I think it's important for the girls. I think it is hard to be away, and sometimes I think family is good to be around. Nice to see a familiar face, certainly. Well, that's what I think anyway, and I haven't been told not to come. (laughs) Although she just did give you a little evil eye. Yes, I did get the look, so, you know, what are you going to say, Mum? (laughs) Last question. Uh, Just settle this debate for us. So we've spoken to a number of the players over the years, and the question has always been, who is the messiest of the team? Now, Meg's name has been thrown under the bus lots. So confirm or deny, is she a messy person? Yes, she is, even at home the bag opens anything happens and everything cooking you know like every pot and pan's used and it just sort of lands and she always says I don't know how that happened (laughs) but it does no absolutely messiest Sue it's been lovely chatting with you thank you thank you very much I'm jealous Brute that you're getting to meet not only my favorite cricketers but their families too but Brute maybe we should talk about some more cricket now given that the next match that Australia and England will play and will be the sole test Brit, can England bounce back? I don't think so. I, I hate to be a negative Nancy, but I don't think that they really have room to move from here. So I have heard that Australia won't change their batting lineup for the test, and that's why they've stuck with Nicole Bolton at the top because they think she's the best opener for the test match. I would like to be proved wrong considering we haven't been able to make runs in that top four with the exception of the partnership between Elisa Healy and Meg Lanning in this last match at Canterbury. But it looks like Australia is going to stick with that batting lineup. And as I mentioned before, I don't think England are going to have the answer to get rid of them. And I definitely think that they should avoid letting Australia bat first because as we've seen, it actually leads to a bigger defeat than if they would have bat first and then try and defend that. Yeah, see, Brit, I, I tend to disagree with you from an Australian perspective. Oh, actually, no, I think we're agreeing. From an Australian perspective, heading into this test, Australia will obviously want an outright win and England will be doing whatever they can to get the draw. So I assume Australia will want to get England with the bat straight in, see if they can bowl them out nice, quick, nice and quickly, build a respectable total and then do it again. I actually think we're agreeing and I just got confused. Yeah, we are agreeing. I'd say they want to be able to bat first. Um, It's interesting because you said that England will be hoping for a draw. I think they'll still be trying to win, but as I said, I just don't see much hope for them there. So if they can sort of draw, at least they'll keep their respect intact. I think that's because, the thing, yeah, right? It's like a slippery slope from here. A win will be hard for them, but if they can draw, at least they get two points and then they can head into the T20s with, you know, at least the ability to fight back because we saw them perform really well in the T20s in the Ashes series in Australia two years ago. So potentially if the test can at least be drawn for England, then they're still in maybe with a fighting chance. The other person I'd like to see them use is Jenny Gunn. So she's played so many Ashes series over the years that she's their most capped player. And we've only seen her as a subfielder filling in for Catherine Brunt. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, they're not doing well. Jenny Gunn's experienced. Why would you not throw her in there and, and utilise that? So I hope they bring her out for the test match. And, yeah, that it's a bit more competitive this time. All right, Britt, before we sort of head to wrap up, I hear you've got one more chat for us. This is the last chat I did at the ground with Helen Fagg, which is Kent Cricket's community cricket officer for women and girls. She was telling me that women's 
cricket in Kent is really strong. There's currently three players from the Kent side in the England setup. So this is me chatting with Helen and you'll find out a little bit about the area and cricket and how it's doing there. I've managed to track down Helen Fagg, who's the community cricket officer here for women and girls at Kent County Cricket. Helen, I know you're disappointed with how England are currently doing, but it's good to see so many people here today for the game. Absolutely, yeah. There's um, a lot of uh, fans of the obviously the England women that go round with them, um, but in terms of uh, the crowd today, probably looking at about double what it was last year for the international. Um, so it really shows the growth in the support for the for the women's game. Um, we also have a lot of our county age group girls here today with their families, um, so that shows that they're sort of being inspired by their role models and coming along to watch cricket um, and just having a great experience of it as well, which is really nice to see. Um, and then also we um, gave quite a lot of tickets out to our most proactive female cricket clubs um, so the ones that have women's teams in the leagues um, and a lot of them are here today as well so it's really sort of grown the crowd and added to the atmosphere so it's, yeah, it's been a really good day. If you had to guess how many people here what would you put for figures? I've heard it's about 3,000 um, so that is a, a decent crowd for, for the women's game. Um, I think the maximum capacity here for T20s is about 6,000 so it is getting there um, and yeah it's just a, a really good atmosphere as you can hear from the cheers. <laughs> it's quite a balanced crowd um, uh, there's, there's support for both teams um, and it's just a, a really good event. Now Helen tell us a little bit more about what you do. I know that Kent is quite strong for women's cricket and girls cricket. Yeah, historically it's um, it's had quite a lot of support. We've got a lot of schools uh, that play a good standard of cricket um, moving into the clubs and there's more and more clubs that are looking to start women and girls sections because I think they understand the purpose of um, sort of widening and trying to get as many members into a cricket club as possible um, and having it as as inclusive as they can Um, and we're noticing a definite growth in schools and our clubs um, as we're going forward um, which is really good because uh, that's part of our role is to try and drive participation so there's various different programs like women's softball fest- festivals that we've been doing so we've run a lot of those over the last couple of years which have proved, proved popular um, so yeah it's it's really good to to see the, the growth in the game um, and then I suppose our job is to try and link everything up um, so that we've got schools coming here today to see the the professionals play because it's so important for them to actually see their role models and lots of research suggests that it's such a motivational thing to to see them play at their best and say well I want to get there Um, and that's a a huge reason why a lot of the girls continue to play um, because they want to get to the same standard. What has this spike in participation come from? Has it been England's success before this Ashes series and the fact that it's now covered in papers, on TV and radio and everywhere? I definitely think TV is a, is a massive, uh, massive thing. Obviously, the, the Super League was heavily funded, um, so that was more present in the media, on social media, that sort of thing. Um, it was a lot of around the brand and the, the names of the franchise teams were a big a big draw. Um, I think with the 100 coming in and um, t- a cricket being on telly again, uh, I think that will be a, a big driver because it's just more present and they see it. Um, I mean, I remember in 2005 when the, uh, the men's ashes were on TV and we were all talking about it in school and uh, watching it in lessons and stuff. Uh, I remember that. So I do think that has a, a really big impact if you can actually see it on, on TV.
And do you get any coverage here of the women's big bash from Australia? Because I know a lot of the England players have been over to play. Um, don't, I don't think I know the answer to that. I've not personally seen it. Um, obviously, we know about the big bash um, and we know how such big events they are and uh, it's it's a, a much more sort of big entertainment stay out um, and, a, and a really good experience. And I, I know that England and Australia sort of a trying to we're sort of taking ideas from the Australian way of doing things in terms of the big bash and, and that sort of thing it's it's quite an equal game sort of men's and women's in Australia um, and equal pathways and things which is really impressive um, so we definitely know a lot about what you guys do. Kent County women's team won the county championship this season which is the premier women's one day competition in England and there's three players here today that were inside that team playing for England. Absolutely yeah so you've got Tammy Beaumont, uh, Laura Marsh and Fran Wilson um, and they were absolute drivers behind the success this year. We've got a a new coach uh, so Mark Decker it's his first year um, ex-Zimbabwean international uh, and he also manages the, the boys' cricket pathway here in Kent. Um, and we were really pleased that he was interested in the role. Um, and he's absolutely done a, a fantastic job. Uh, he's managed to really engage with the, the experienced internationals. Um, and then he's also managed to blood in some of the youngsters coming through our county age group pathway. So we've got an under-17 girls team. And he's utilised uh, some of the younger players into the squad um, with the likes of Tammy Beaumont. And obviously the international players really help with that as well. They're, they're great with um, welcoming players into the, into the team. And I think the blend um, of experience has, has really worked this year. And so, yeah, it's been a fantastic year for, for Kent women. So we know they won this year, but how's their form been in, in past years? Have they always been successful? We've got a rich history um, in Kent and we've had a lot of success in the past. I think there was, uh, so obviously Charlotte Edwards that you know, uh, she was instrumental across a number of years for, for the Kent women um, and then she stepped down. Um, there was a little, a little dip where there was a, a rebuilding phase but we seem to have um, picked up again this year. Um, but yeah, the likes of uh, Lydia Greenway as well, we've got, we've got a whole history of, of really uh, successful women's players so that's great to have that history to inspire and sort of motivate uh, our youngsters coming through. You've also got a couple of players on the fringe of England in Tash Farrant and was it Elise Davis Richards? Um, yeah, so Alice Davidson Richards. Uh, it's a bit of, bit of a mouthful. Um, and then Tash Farrant has, has spent a lot of years in the England system. She got into the England program when she was very young. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's fantastic to have such a, a good group of Kent players that are all involved in in the international game and it just means when they're all around the impact that they can all have together has just been so positive as you can tell by our results. Helen thank you so much for chatting with us and I hope that from today you get some people joining up to cricket and playing. Fantastic thank you so much. Hey guys this is Elise Perry keep up with the ashes on ladies who leg spin. All right, Britt, well, that wraps us up for another week. And now the Ashes moves to Swindon for the Test match, which will be played from the 18th to the 21st of July. In the meantime, Australia will meet an England Academy team in a three-game encounter. So where are you off to next, Britt? Well, I'm about to head to London for a couple of days holiday and then heading back up north to cover the Netball World Cup in Liverpool. But 
Di has been nagging me. And also Meg Lanning's mum, Sue, was telling me that if I can make it to the test in Taunton for at least one day, that Meg's sister apparently is a really big talker, the opposite of Meg, quite out there and would give me a great interview. So hopefully I might get down to Taunton. You'll have to find out on the next podcast. But I'm looking forward to seeing how Australia do and hopefully more success there. Well, Brittany, you must get down to Taunton to get that interview because I'm already looking forward to it. So you will hear from us once again once the test is over, hopefully with the news that Australia has retained the ashes. Now, as you know, I'm at home sleeping on the couch while Brittany is watching the cricket. So for your live updates, make sure you follow Britt on Twitter and let her know if you've got any great story suggestions for her while she's on the ground. Now, Britt, seeing as I'm here in Sydney and you are over there in the UK, do you want to say goodbye to everyone? You've been listening to Ladies Here Legs Spin. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.